Kirokutu Katua. It's Monday, 14th of December 2020, and welcome to the Weekend Tax. I'm Terry Boucher, Taxpert and Director of Boucher Consulting Limited, a tax consultancy helping individuals, small businesses, and professionals navigate the tax minefield. This is the ta- last tax podcast for the year, so we will be taking a look back over the main tax stories. And it would be no surprise that the response to COVID-19 will feature very heavily. Looking back, the thing that stands out is how rapidly events developed and then the sheer scale of what we were dealing with. In the podcast on Friday, March 16th, I suggested some actions Inland Revenue could take um, as a response to coronavirus. This was after a week in which first Italy, then the UK and finally Australia announced special measures in in response to the pandemic. All involved vast sums of money. By the following Friday's episode, we had had the first COVID-19 support package had been announced, including the first iteration of the wage and subsidy scheme. From then on, it was a frantic blur until late May, with barely a week passing without one new tax measure. Most of these did what they were intended to do, get money into the economy, keep people employed, but some were more successful than others. The Business Finance Guarantee Scheme, for example, did not work out as anticipated, with only $176 million lent to 834 businesses by the end of August. On the other hand, the Small Business Cash Flow Scheme was a huge success in getting money out to small businesses very quickly. Currently, over $1.6 billion has been lent to close to 100,000 businesses, and the government is now working on making that scheme permanent. Some of the tax measures that were announced during the crisis, such as increasing the provisional tax threshold to $5,000, or increasing the low-value asset write-off temporarily to $5,000 are measures that probably would have happened sometime soon, possibly even this year, given it was an election year. What COVID-19 did was to make the government bring forward those measures and into effect much sooner than otherwise might have happened. So at this point, it's also worth noting out just how well the Ministry of Social Development and Inland Revenue handled the distribution of funds under the various wage subsidies and the Small Business Cash Flow Scheme. That meant, their action, prompt action meant that billions of dollars got very quickly to where it was needed, and both organisations deserve credit for making that happen. But it undoubtedly put Inland Revenue under considerable strain and we'll come back and talk about that a little later on. The immediate legacy of the response to COVID-19 is, of course, the government's books being shot to bits. Although, interestingly, the latest figures released show that the government tax take has not fallen significantly, and the deficit is more down to expenses increasing sharply, such as the um, wage subsidies. The impression is that so far, the economy has come through the crisis in better shape than was anticipated way back in March. For all that, the government faces deficits for the foreseeable future. 
and we therefore had somewhat unusual situation of it Labour running a ca an election campaign with a promise to increase the top income tax rate to 39% for income over $180,000. That increased tax rate was expected to yield about $550 million a year, although I suspect we may find it, it, it raises more than that because the economy has been in better shape than expected. Aside from the opposition Labour pro Labour's proposals got, um, Labour's proposal also got criticised from various sectors that the response was inadequate given the scale of the problem and there was also criticism and this is going to be an, a continuing theme that the income tax increase primarily on labour and earnings was not really where tax changes were needed. Notwithstanding those issues there are a, com a number of complicated flow-on effects from increasing the top income tax rate to 39% such as around um, with resident withholding tax and fringe benefit tax. Then of course there are the significantly increased powers for inland revenue in respect to requesting information for, from trustees. This is something which is going to give trustees and beneficiaries pause for thought before they get involved in aggressive tax planning. The government has made it clear that if it sees such activity it will increase the trust tax rate something which Inland Revenue recommended it should be do anyway. So the immediate impact of COVID-19 and the government's response has been the, the major tax story of the year. The second big tax story has been the ongoing capital taxation debate, which is something I suspected might happen. Writing at the start of the year, I suggested that, that although the government had said in April last year it would not introduce a capital gains tax, that would not mean the end of the story. And so it proved. Throughout the year, particularly in the wake of COVID-19 and an unexpected housing price boom, there has been a string of stories looking at the question of taxing capital, either in the form of a wealth tax, as proposed by the Greens, or more recently an extended Brightline test. <clears throat> I was quoted in one article saying that if the Brightline test is to be extended to a 10-year timeline would be consistent with the other land taxing provisions in the Income Tax Act. Unsurprisingly, how that 10-year timeline is measured can differ between the various provisions. What Jeff Nightingale from the Tax Working Group pointed out in the same article um, would be that it would be fairer that to have a comprehensive capital gains tax at a rate of 33% rather than continuing the modelled approach to capital taxation we have presently and the previously mentioned complexities of raising the top income tax rate to 39%. So I think we're still going to see more in the debate going forward around capital gains tax and taxing capital. This is in part because of the housing price boom, but also because, and this is, uh, many of the journalists covering the story are relatively young. Despite having good jobs, they're struggling to get together deposits to purchase houses. Effectively, they've been priced out of the housing market, and understandably, they're not happy about that. But they are in a position to make some noise about it. So the government will find this story isn't going to go away, much as it might like. 
So throughout 2021 and beyond, there will be a steady stream of stories about what are we going to do about house prices and what role will tax have to play. The final tax story of the year is the role of inland revenue, how it managed its response to COVID-19, and then going forward, how well is its business transformation program really going? As I mentioned previously, inland revenue's immediate response to COVID-19 deserves praise. It took action to help clients running into difficulties with payments of tax, including a number of measures which effectively wrote off interest on overdue tax where the taxpayer had been adversely affected by COVID-19. It administered the small business cash flow scheme very efficiently and worked very closely with the Ministry of Social Development on the wage subsidy schemes. At its peak, I understand Inland Revenue was handling over 15,000 requests for verification each day in relation to the wage subsidy scheme. At a tax conference, I asked Inland Revenue representatives there whether they would have been able to manage all this additional demands that arrived because of COVID-19 had they not gone through with business transformation. Their response, understandably, was that the pro business transformation program had given them additional capacity and flexibility to manage the demands put on them. And in particular, the upgrade of the computer systems meant they could physically cope with what was coming at them. So far, so good. But as listeners will know in recent weeks, I've raised questions around what exactly has been going on with inland revenue in relation to its audit and investigation performance. Particularly noting that the hours spent on investigations have fallen by two-thirds in the past five years, from over 680,000 to just over 240,000. That led to a interesting response from the Deputy Commissioner at Inland Revenue, Sharon Thompson, on the matter. That exchange caught the eye of Auckland barrister and ex-Inland Revenue investigator Rihan Goldenhuis. And what he pointed out was that Inland Revenue was actually under some strain in delivering business transformation even before COVID-19 hit. Rian noted that in one of the Minister's, Minister of Revenue's regular reports to Cabinet on the progress of business transformation in 2019, then Minister of Revenue Stuart Nash had noted that there was strains developing and that Inland Revenue had been taken by surprise by the response to its rollout of automatic assessments for all people on PAYE. Now, as you might expect, COVID-19 has exacerbated those strains. And in his July briefing to Cabinet this year, the Minister of Revenue noted that because it had had to divert staff from audit and collection to maintain services Quote, no new audit or debt collection cases will be opened and existing disputes will be managed as judiciously as possible. 
Inland Revenue Specialists in these areas are supporting COVID-19 activities and other priority work for around 50 to 70% of their time. As the report to Cabinet also noted, quote, Inland Revenue's ability to support customers is currently stretched to capacity. Now, of course, an unexpected event like COVID-19 will have some flow-on effects but what also emerged from these reports to Cabinet is that the projected administrative savings that Inland Revenue promised the government as part of the business plan for business transformation have been completely wiped out. The original projection was that Inland Revenue would realise administrative savings for the period ending 30th of June 2024 amounting to $495 million in total. According to the July brief report provided to Cabinet, none of those administrative savings are now expected to real be realised. So that's an effective $495 million hit to Inland Revenue's bottom line and, by extension, the government's. Now, earlier this year, an academic article in the New Zealand Journal of Taxation, Law and Policy was critical of Inland Revenue's business transformation programme. The author thought that Inland Revenue had prioritised staff reductions rather than uh, emphasising its ability to improve collection of taxes, particularly in the area of the cash economy. So on top of these two issues of cost overruns and poor audit and investigation or decreasing audit and investigation performance, there's the problem of another problem of a growing strain in the relationship between inland revenue and tax agents. Tax agents are increasingly exasperated by inland revenue's actions and directly contacting clients about various tax issues, ostensibly in the name of better communication and better management of tax debt. More often than not, however, these calls result in confusion and duplicated costs for the client and the tax agent, and these are often not recoverable by the tax agent. So this combination of cost overruns, lower audit and investigation work, and a strained relationship with a very significant group of stakeholders is something which is going to need careful monitoring by the new Minister of Revenue, David Parker. We will be watching with interest. Well, that's it for this year. Thank you to all my guests and to all my listeners and readers. I really appreciate your feedback and patience and sticking with me throughout this year. It's been a tumultuous 2020 and I do suspect it will be well into 2021 before everything settles back into what we might call a calm and more normal times. In the meantime, my thanks again. I'm Terry Boucher, and you can find this podcast on my website, www.boucher.tax, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and please send me your feedback and tell your friends and clients. Until next year, have a safe and enjoyable Christmas. Ka kite anō.